Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. If you haven't kept your place in the book of Hebrews, I ask you to find it again. We're going to be looking at it in some detail this evening. Hebrews chapter 11 has been called by various people the Hall of Faith because it describes the lives beginning with Abel and then right on down to Moses, the man that we're looking at tonight, and beyond him. These great people of faith, how God used them. The interesting thing about all of these people is that they had to discover that their limitations on the human level were no limitations for God. Because we know that God responds to people like Moses. It's been said this man who did not even know God until he was 80 years of age. There's probably not a person in the room who has reached that mark in your own personal history. Until he was 80, he really didn't know God like God wanted him to be known in order that God could use this man. It's been said of him the first 40 years of his life, which were spent in the palace of Pharaoh, he learned what it was to be somebody the next 40 years when he was shepherding sheep on the backside of the Midianite desert, that same person said in that period of his life he knew what it was like to be a nobody. And then the last 40 years of his life, which were the most dawning years, I would go on record as saying next to Jesus Christ, this man had the biggest task of any person who's ever lived. And I'm no expert on that. The Lord's the one who decides that. But when you think about what he undertook, he was a reluctant man at first. Do you remember how he tried to talk God out of the assignment the Lord had for him? Have any of you ever tried to do that? I know I've tried to do it, but it never works because the Lord has his way in our lives when he has his control over our lives. But he was a man who had the responsibility of leading 603,550 men the age of 20 years of age or over. And let's do the math there for just a moment. We don't know, but I would guess that probably the majority of those men had families. They had a wife. So let's say 300,000 were married. That's a conservative number. So that would add another 300,000 to the 600,000. So that's 900,000 roughly. And then how many children did these families have? We don't know. We know that Moses' family, there were three children. There was Miriam and Aaron and Moses. So let's just multiply that by three. Three times 300,000 is 900,000. So conservatively speaking, we're talking about 1.8 million people. That's a lot of folks to lead, isn't it? How many people are in this borderplex here? Probably about that number, maybe a few more. Can you imagine trying to 
corral all those people and lead them? And they weren't always compliant. They weren't always ready to follow this man. But he was used by God. Why? God chose him for the task, but he was a man of faith. In this passage that begins with verse 1, this is the overarching emphasis of this chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. People of faith are rare people. We know the Bible says elsewhere that where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The older translations translate it this way, where there is no vision, the people perish. But the idea of revelation is that God speaks to us. And it was not unique to Moses. He speaks to all of us. If we have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is seeking to say to us tonight even, He will speak to us. And we need not be afraid of what He says. Despite the fact that Moses pushed against the plan that God had for his life, if we were to have him come and speak to us tonight, he would say, don't be like I was. Don't drag your feet. Don't be reluctant. I am astonished, is what he would say, that God would use me for such a huge task. And as bad as it was for me sometimes in the fulfillment of that responsibility, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So what I would say to you tonight, if God is speaking to your heart about an assignment He's giving you, listen. And listen with an eager heart and a willing spirit to obey the Lord. We're going to look at some of the characteristics of a person who is a person of faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Are you aware of the fact that when you pick up this Bible, not this one, but your Bible, I hope you have one. Some of you have your Bible on your phone. Probably most of the people here tonight do. But when you open this book, the Bible says about it in the book of Hebrews, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart and my heart. This book literally breathes in the sense that God uses it to speak to us. We need to be men and women who are eager to hear. And God will teach us, and our faith will grow in direct proportion to our hearing and then applying what He says. Faith without works is dead, is what James writes. I mean, you can read the Bible, memorize the Bible till you're blue in the face and ready for the grave and not grow spiritually. Because God speaks to us to introduce Himself to us, that's critical. And He continues to show more of Himself to us as we submit ourselves to the Scripture and we listen to Him. Can you imagine if you got some sort of reliable message when you got home tonight and you knew it was a bona fide message. It came from Jesus Christ. And he would say, I'm going to meet with you in the morning at 6 a.m. Would you blow him off? Or would you say, Lord, where? And I'll be there. 
This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the same thing that Moses experienced, you and I can experience in terms of our intimacy with the Lord. Faith sees what others cannot see. The eye of faith is trained to see God everywhere. Not, I'm talking about the eye of our heart. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 118, as he prayed this great prayer on behalf of the church there, he said, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart. Really, he said, that you would enlighten the eyes of their heart. We have two sets of eyes. The physical, and they're valuable, aren't they? But the more valuable set is that that's in our heart. And it's those eyes with which the Lord introduces himself to us. Now, I'm going to give six principles here that are true of us if we are men and women of faith. A person of faith is a person who knows God. Let's look at Hebrews 11:27. This Bible says about Moses, by faith he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He knew God. How important do you think knowing God is? If you were to put a price tag on knowing God, what would it be? Well, I'm of the opinion, and it's biblically based, and that's why I believe it, that you and I were created to know God. And it's only in knowing God that we are going to fulfill our intended purposes. I hope you know that every man and woman in this room, God has a plan for you. And God wants you to find that plan and serve Him with gladness and fear, the Bible says, in the execution of that plan. And we are people whom God has set apart to know Him. Jesus makes this astonishing statement about what knowing God leads to. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Know the one true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. I remember what David said to his son Solomon when David was about to pass the torch to Solomon. David's days were over as the monarch of Israel. And he gets his son in front of all the leaders of Israel, political leaders, religious leaders, economic leaders, military leaders. You would think he would give him a spiel on every area that was important to governing the people of God. But he only said one thing to him. He said, know the God of your father. Know the God of your father. We do well to know the God of David and Moses and all the other people in the Bible who are very ordinary. I call them extraordinarily ordinary because when God works in a man's or a woman's life, what he does, he comes to indwell that person and in indwelling, he also empowers and he helps us to do that which we would never be able to do otherwise. I'm glad he helped me stay upright at that moment. Thank you, Lord, for that. Tripped on something there almost. It was the rug. That comes when you're my age, you trip on the rug, you know. 
But this is what the Bible says about Moses and his relationship to God. In Exodus 33, 11, it says, Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That's saying a lot about the relationship that was built between God and Moses, doesn't it? Abraham was called God's friend. That's a distinguishing thing. God wants you to be his friend. Jesus says this to his apostles the night before he died. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friend. And it, actually, it says, I have called you friend. What he was saying is, I'm never going to back to look at you primarily as a servant. I'm looking at you as a forever friend. And I've got an assignment for you. And that's to bear fruit, to be used by me. Just like this group that came back last night from our middle school and high school. They were used by the Lord. I'm looking forward to hearing how God worked in their lives. And the group that's leaving tomorrow under Gus's and Frankie's leadership, they're going to be used by God in a very significant way too. But they are men and women, if they're wise, and so are you, that we understand we can have this kind of intimate relationship with the Lord. We can know Him. By the way, the word translated know in the Old Testament, you probably know this already, that word is a word which carries with it the idea of knowing someone not just intellectually, but relationally. And more importantly, relationally. In intimacy. This is what God wants for us. And Moses was such a man. Moses paid more attention to the invisible king of kings than to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. That would have scared the daylights out of me to go before the most powerful man and tell him what to do that God had told me to do. But Moses went and he was used by God because he had that kind of relationship with the Lord. Here's a second truth, knowing God. We could stop there, and if you learn to know God, all these other things will become true of you because you'll spend time the rest of your life in this world, and I happen to believe into eternity we will continue. God's infinite, and there's no way we can exhaust infinity. We will continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Him, but we get a head start here. It's great to know Him here. Here's the second thing. A person of faith says, no to himself or herself so she or he can say yes to God. Where do we see this in this passage? Look at verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused, I like that, it's a strong word, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Evidently, he had been called her daughter. You know the story. Pharaoh, her father, father of the stepmother, you might say, or foster mother, her father had said, kill all the male infant Hebrew children. And two very courageous midwives, whose names are spoken of in chapter 1 of Exodus, they didn't do it. And one of those children, male children, who survived was Moses. 
And Moses' mother, Jochebed, she nursed him, took care of him until he became noisy, so noisy that he would be found out. And so she wove a little basket. Remember the story? It's a great child's story, but it's one for us too. A woman of faith herself, Jochebed. And here's what's interesting. When Moses gives this great hymn, of victory after God had delivered the children of Israel out of incredible danger as they were taken through the Red Sea without a scratch. They were exhorting and excited about the victory. And Moses wrote this letter, this poem, as it will. It's a psalm, really. And he says something about the God of his father is the one whom he worshiped. We, many of us know Jochebed. That's kind of an odd name. Some of you wouldn't even know her name, but what is the father's name? Have you ever found that in Scripture? Some of you could answer that question, and I'm not playing Bible trivia here. I didn't know it for many years until I went on a search for it. Amram, he had an influence too. It takes two to tango when it comes to parenting, doesn't it? And when a couple knows the Lord, they raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Who knows where there's, whether there's a Moses or a Sarah or a Rahab in that family line. These women of faith, this man of faith and others, it's wonderful to see that happen. But the man like Moses or the woman like Sarah, they knew how to say no to themselves. And you must if you're really going to be used by God. This is what Jesus says in the call to discipleship. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him. What's right out of the box? Deny himself or herself. Then take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial is not very well thought of today. I read something that A-Rod said recently, somebody knew who Alex Rodriguez is, he'd been in a long-term relationship with Jennifer Lopez, and they broke up, and then I read something he said afterwards, he was using her pretty obviously, and he didn't show any sadness in breaking up the relationship from his side, but nevertheless, this, this is what he said, I read it just about three weeks ago probably, he said, right now I'm clearing everything away so I can work on me. Well, that could be good, but I don't think he was saying what we would think as believers. He was thinking about how he could improve his position and how he could get to feeling better and all that. Well, the people who know Jesus are people who have great joy because the Bible says, and it's true, in His presence there is fullness of joy. With Christ, we have more than we will ever need in terms of fulfillment in relationship in this world. But we need to be men and women who can say no. And what does it say in verse 25 here? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, let me stop here. Is sin fun? Now, I'm not asking for a testimony, okay. 
It is pleasant, isn't it? Some of the translations say sin is pleasant, and then it follows that with a prepositional phrase, for a season. A friend of mine who was a supposed Christian, he was ascending as an officer in the Marines. He was a pilot. He was doing well. And when he would go off to different places on TDY and on various missions, he would find his way into a bar. And he would find some willing female to not just be nice to, but to have a relationship with. It was illicit. That happened many times. His wife finally became aware of it, and she was not happy, and who would be? She was a Christian woman, a good woman, and she reported it to his superior officer. At that time, in the Marines, he was a Marine, in the Marines, it was a felony to commit adultery. It was a behavior that would result in court-martial if found guilty. A real trial occurred. He had someone to defend him, and he was found guilty. He was sent to Fort Leavenworth, stripped of all of his dignity. And he told me, when he got out of prison, he said, I learned many things in prison. But one thing I understood soon after I was there, because the other officers, because the enlisted and officers, I understand, are in two different quarters at this prison in Leavenworth. And they said to me, we've got a few things to tell you. And one of the things that we know about being in prison here, and we learned the hard way, and you're learning it too, is the first three letters of funeral spell fun. This man, who had all kinds of opportunity, blew it. And we understand, if we're going to follow the Lord, men and women, we're going to be men and women who learn to say no to ourselves in order that we can say yes to God. It's a blessed self-denial, though. Let's look at the third, third thing here. Who focuses on Christ, not the world. Look at verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, did Moses know Jesus? This is what this would indicate. And Jesus said the same thing. Actually, I was surprised as I was preparing the message. I had run over this verse many times before, and it never had quite sunk in. In John 5, 46, Jesus says that if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me because Moses wrote about me. How did he know Christ? Well, he didn't know that Christ would be Jesus of Nazareth in the human but he knew that God had promised that there would be a Messiah who would come, who would be of the seed of Abraham. He knew that. And so he looked forward to it like all prophets in the Scripture. They looked forward to the coming of Jesus. They didn't know everything about it. That's what Peter says in one of his epistles. But nevertheless, they believed it. 
And he focused on Christ, not the world. Look at verse 28. It says, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. What is the Passover? What did it commemorate? It was big time, wasn't it? What did it commemorate? It commemorated the promise that God says, everybody who participates in the Passover, what I want you to do, you remember the situation, I want you to find a lamb without blemish, and I want you to sacrifice that lamb. All households do that together. You take the blood that was let from the lamb, and you brush it across the lintel and on the doorpost, and when the death angel comes over tonight, He's going to pass by your house. But if you don't have the blood over, every firstborn in every household is going to die. The people did that. But those who didn't, there was great wailing, wailing, wailing in those homes. Unbelievable. It's tried to be depicted in movies about that, but there's no way to understand that. The loss of your firstborn child, how awful. But the good news for us, what that represents is Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this man, Moses, saw the promised Christ in the Passover. And so we too can see in Christ the only one who could pay for our sins. This metaphor that John the Baptist used when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He mixes his pictures, really. He's talking about Jesus as the Passover lamb, but he's also talking about Jesus as the scapegoat and the sacrificial goat in the Day of Atonement. And how that scapegoat, after the high priest would confess all the sins of Israel from the preceding year on Yom Kippur, the annual event, when he would finish, then there was a designated person who would take that goat, goat with a rope around its neck, take it off until it disappeared over the horizon. As if to say, not only will the Messiah pay for your sins, but in addition to that, those sins will be removed from you as far as the east is to the west. Does anyone here tonight wrestle with sin in your life? And in moments of quietness, the reminiscence comes to your mind and you're haunted by it. Well, that could mean one of two things. One thing it could mean is you've never been really forgiven of your sins because you haven't learned how to yield yourself to Jesus and give Him your life. And this could be the day of your salvation, by the way. Today could be the day. July the 2nd, 2021. Born again by the living and abiding Word of God. Jesus died for you. But there are others present who do know Jesus. You remember a time when you made that kind of commitment to the Lord. You confessed your sin and you still are haunted. Well, let me just give you a word of encouragement. The Bible says in Revelation 12.10 that the accuser of the brothers, that would be the devil, accuses us day and night to God the Father. But I'm sure you know what happens simultaneously. We have a 
friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus Christ, and he lives to make intercession for us. So when the, when the devil accuses you, Will, or you, Avery, or me, because of our sin that we've confessed and repented of as followers of Christ, you know what? We need to remember that. Not just these two young men and me. We need to remember it. We just say, okay, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'm believing Jesus instead of you. And people, I know I talk to people frequently who have this wrestling going on, wrestling because of sin. I said, he's forgotten it. And you need to too. And trust the Lord. Don't be nonchalant. Nobody should be nonchalant about their sin. It's awful. It's an abomination. But on the other hand, we need to learn how to let it go. Let the Lord do His work. We must focus on Jesus and not the world. There's much more that could be said about that, but we have a little more territory to cover before we finish tonight. Here's the fourth thing. A person of faith identifies with those in his circle. He was a leader. But look what he says here in verse 25. We'll go back there and look at 25 one more time. He chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. We identify with those in our family. If you're a married person, you have some people to lead. If you're a husband, to lead your wife. If you're a parent, to lead your children. And others of us have leadership responsibilities in the church and so forth and so on. But we're to identify with them. We're not to stay apart. When I was, before I became a pastor actually, I would hear pastors offhand speaking at greetings and gatherings. And I would occasionally hear a pastor say, don't ever make friends with people in your church. You'll live to regret it. And that kept me from wanting to even be a pastor. I can't imagine not having friends in the church. is more than a friend, right? Who are we? Brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. Can you imagine, some of you have done this, not having anything to do with your family? Natural? But we want to have that relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to have a great opportunity that's been customized. It's on the horizon in our church to give everybody in this church who wants to be involved in a small group, community group, to do that. Drew's worked diligently with the help of his assistants for this, but we can have that kind of relationship. Especially with those who are suffering, we are to identify with. You know, the church has a lot of suffering in it. This church does. A lot of people hurting. And they need people to come alongside of them and say, you know, I don't find myself in the exact situation in which you find yourself, but I have been hurting before and I have found that the Lord has used others to help me to grow. And I, I just want to let you know I'm going to pray for you. I'll listen to you. It's awesome to think about, isn't it? Moses was rejected even by those whom he led. We won't go into that, but just for instance, remember when he was on the mountain and they fashioned this golden calf? Remember that? And what did they say? We don't even know much about this man Moses. Let's go back and 
fashion some idols we can worship like we did in Egypt. They rejected his leadership. He endured great loneliness. There are fewer lonely figures in the Bible than Moses. Unreal. His 40 years of shepherding on the Midianite plain helped him with that, but it, it hurts. It hurts. Let's look at number five here. A person who is a person of faith lets God fight his battles. We sang about this tonight. Did you like that song? That was a great song. Have you ever noticed in the Scripture how often the Bible will say in the Old Testament, particularly, the battle belongs to the Lord? In 2 Chronicles 20, Judah, under the leadership of their king Jehoshaphat, they were dead meat. There was a coalition, a formidable coalition of enemies, and they had come, and they were ready to besiege Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat knew that his forces were no match. And he called for a fast. He called all the people to come to Jerusalem for a time of solemn assembly. And he tore his garments. And then he put sackcloth and ashes. It'd be like real itchy cloth on himself. And he, he came to the Lord. And this is what he said. This is so, so helpful for me. I prayed this so many times. We do not know what to do, Lord but our eyes are upon you. When you don't know what to do, just get your eyes on the Lord. That's where they should have been to begin with. But do that. And it has a calming effect on you. And then when the prophet was given orders to give to Jehoshaphat and to the people of Judah, remarkably, what the orders were is don't pick up a weapon don't do anything. I just want you to go out and get a bunch of people singing in front of you and they're going to sing a chorus. The, everla the lo everlasting love of the Lord endures forever. Now, some of you, I don't want a testimony, but some of you complained about we do these things over and over and over and over and over. This, the, come on, let's get to the next song. Well, some of that's justified, but two lines. And you know what the Lord did? He decimated the enemy. They turned on themselves. And why? Not because it was a two-line chorus or whatever you want to call it. It was because when we praise the Lord, we lift Him up and where the Lord is praised, the devil cannot win. Especially when it looks like defeat is inevitable. And so we need to be men and women who learn because we know God and we've learned to say no to ourselves in order that we might say yes to God. And we focus on Jesus and not the world and we ad identify with hurting people in particular. We let Him fight our battles. When Moses leading that, let's say 1.8 million people, they were perched on one side of the Red Sea coming from Pharaoh's place there were his cracked troops, charioteers. They were bearing down on them. And they came, and all of a sudden, God took that cloud. You remember that cloud that he would guide them with by day and warm them with by night? It came and intervened in between, in between. 
And Moses trying to figure out, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you know what God said to him? He says, do not fight, only be still. I'd say, come on, God. These people are bearing down on us. We have a few weapons, but our hands are not trained for war. How are we going to survive this? They're going to slaughter us, take what's left back, and we're going to be worse off than we were before you delivered us. Well, they did what he said, and God prevailed. And the word for still, depending on the context in, as it's used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language, sometimes it means be quiet, don't say anything. Sometimes it means don't listen. Both are advised, by the way. This is what God wants us to do. Read about it in Nehemiah chapter 6. Read about it all over the Scripture, how God does this, mighty. What, without defending themselves or killing a single Egyptian, these people were delivered. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20, verse 7. And what happens to those who trust in chariots and horses? What does the Scripture say? They are brought low. They're brought down. And what about us? If we trust in the Lord in those situations, the Scripture says, we rise up. Now, what does that suggest? In order to rise up, where you got to be? Down. And that doesn't mean depressed. I think it means humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time He may exalt you. Humble in prayer. Definitely, Moses was a great man of prayer. We understand God is the one who gives the victory if it lasts. We could go there too, but we won't tonight. Let's look at the last thing. So a person who is a person of faith invests in others to continue the process of God's glory through the people of God. Let's look at verse 30 of this passage and we're done. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. There's no mention of Joshua. We know Joshua was the one who led the children in. Moses didn't. He was denied that opportunity because he had disobeyed God. And we do reap consequences of our sin. But Moses, in a sense, was in Joshua. We know better, but he had invested his life. Joshua was his protege. He was his right-hand person. He was with him every step of the way in that 40-year period. And he was taking notes, Joshua was. Probably not writing them down, but mentally he was taking notes. He was learning, 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 learning. And it was he who exercised faith just like his mentor did when the children went around for six days, one time around the walls of Jericho. And the seventh day they went around seven times and the shofar was blown and all those walls fell down. It's amazing. Praise the Lord. That's what happens when people are people of faith. I hope this is encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me because Moses didn't want to go. He didn't want to do what the Lord wanted him to do. God wants you to follow Jesus. Wherever He leads, 
you are to go. Can you say that about yourself? Wherever the Lord would lead me, beginning today, I will go. Wherever. And I'm encouraging you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're in that category where you're disturbed because you have no peace in your life about things that are wrong in your life, sin, and you, you just can't get past it. Look, let's settle that tonight. Get, get it done tonight. Give your life to Christ tonight if you haven't done that. Would you just bow your head right now? And if you are in that category, I'm going to ask you to pray. And then I'm going to ask you to do something. Be pretty bold. When we have our time, then we're going to sing. We need to get the right song, Drew. I know you've picked it out already. We're going to sing. And Gus will be here. Adam will be here. I'll be here. You come forward and let one of these pastors know that you have come to give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I know I need you. Not just for a while, but forever. Jesus, I need you so I can know God and I can have the life come to fulfillment that you created me for. I, I want to give you my life, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. And would you please forgive me of my sin? And Lord, I want to give you control of my life right now. No holes barred. I'm not holding anything back. Lord, I want to give you my whole life right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen.